and now we're going to have our Bible reading. Uh, it's from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 28. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will bring, build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Hi, everyone. I wanted to start uh, our time together by um, just the sharing that it has been uh, a difficult week uh, leading up to today. And um, as some of you, or as most of you would know, like I, um, it's been announced that I won't be staying uh, at EPC past December uh, this year. And I just want to say that that makes us as a family quite sad, uh, very sad. And throughout this week, I've really, really struggled with my own thoughts and my own emotions. Um, and preparing a, a sermon, ha, ha, this has really been uh, quite a heavy uh, burden on me, um, but a joyous one, and we'll get there. Um, and speaking now in an empty building and not having you here in person with me kind of makes this more awkward and, and harder. Um, but I want to share that I remember the first, uh, the first Sunday that I came uh, to EPC and I made a promise uh, to 
particularly to the youth, but to the church. And that promise was that I would always point you to Jesus, um, that I was not the person that you needed, but Jesus was the one that you needed. And my commitment is to point to him. And today I can still say, just like the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, could say, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest on, not on human wisdom, but on God's power. Not on human wisdom, but on God's power. My faith rests on Christ, my rock of salvation, crucified for me. And with every opportunity that I have while I'm here at EPC, I'm resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is my hope, my strength, and my life. And I have no other wisdom to give you. And as I've struggled through these last couple of days to know just what to say to you, I'm blessed with the words of Matthew chapter 16. Reading this has been such an encouragement to me. My prayer is for you too. Because at a time when we are wondering what's happening in the church, what does all this mean for us? And we have, while this is happening, we have voices around us in the world saying, will the church be able to survive COVID? Is this the end of the church? Maybe your question now is, what even is the church? What is the church? Well, here in Matthew 16, we find our answer and our encouragement. And we see yet again that the word of God is a balm for our souls. All of our human struggles are met and overcome by the grace of God displayed in Christ. He has built his church. He's built his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So if you can keep your Bibles open at Matthew 16, uh, we're going to work our way through from verse 13. Uh, I'm going to pray now. Father, I ask you now for your strength as you speak through me. And Lord, I ask you to prepare the hearts of all who are hearing so that they may hear your word about Jesus. Believe in his name and have life, um, eternal life. Father, I pray that the name of Jesus would be glorified in me, in what I say, in how I respond, in how I live, and in all your church. For we ask you this in his name. Amen. Well, after a couple of terms in, uh, we now found ourselves at Matthew 16. Uh, of Matthew, oh, yeah, chapter 16. 
So having seen already the birth of Jesus, his baptism, his teaching, his power and authority over nature, over demons, over sickness, his authority over death itself, as well as we've seen the different kinds of responses to Jesus. And these responses range all the way from wanting to kill him to bowing down and worshipping him, polar opposites. And now we have Jesus asking the all-important question. Who do you say that I am? And what we see is that this question is a matter of life and death. And at this point, I want to say that if you were to only take one thing from me today, just one thing, make it this. This question is for you to answer. How do you answer Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because what we understand about the church begins with getting Jesus right. If we miss him, we're not going to understand the church. Leading up to this point, we've seen a bunch of Pharisees and religious rulers. You may remember over the past few weeks, and they've just been getting it wrong time after time. Why? Because they were blinded by their own traditions, by their own wisdom, by human concern. Their traditions blinded them from seeing who Jesus really was. And now we see the disciples. And here's Peter taking the lead. And Peter is confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus saves, Jesus lives, Jesus is Lord. Or we could say, Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. And we see that the church Jesus builds, the church is built on this confession. Look at verse 17 now. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, remember last week we saw how those who misunderstood who Jesus was did so because they had placed human wisdom above God's wisdom, human authority above God's word. But see what Jesus is telling us here. It's not by people. It's not by our own wisdom that we will discover and see who Jesus is. But it's by God's revelation. It's by his word. It's by his spirit. His wisdom. Not only, and hear this, I learned this the hard way. Not only will relying on the wisdom of the world or on your own wisdom 
not get you into the kingdom of God, it will make you blind to it. But for those who confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour, they have this eternal promise. The gates of hell will not overcome. And Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what is the rock? Is the rock Peter? Is the rock the church built on Jesus himself? Well, Jesus uses this nickname for Simon, Peter, which translated means a small rock or a pebble. Let's call him Rocky. So is Rocky the foundation of the church? Our Roman Catholic friends will certainly say so. But Peter and Paul both go on in their later letters to call Jesus the rock, the cornerstone of the church. So is Jesus here pointing to himself as the rock the church is built on? Of course, we say yes to Jesus. And I actually, I think what Jesus is saying here is, you are Peter, Rocky. You're Rocky. And on what you just confessed, on the confession that you just made of me as Lord and Saviour, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. The true church confesses Christ. And even death will not stop it. And there's great comfort here, isn't there? You see, Jesus builds his church and he wins. The church wins. So, as we struggle in lockdown... We wonder what the future of the church is. And even as the world around us may claim that the church seems irrelevant or is no longer needed in the world, as we look inside ourselves at EPC and wonder, where's this going? This is the promise. If Christ is the confession of the church. Even death will not overcome. So Peter has confessed Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And at this point, we're all thinking, yeah, yeah, you got it. Yes, good job, Rocky. And Jesus acknowledges he got it. But what's revealed next was not only the real challenge for Peter, but it's actually where the real challenge lies for us too. Because this is big. And this is what we're going to spend our time now reflecting on. 
The church that confesses Christ is crucified with Christ. Look at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So Jesus now makes it clear what it is going to cost for this church to be built. And that cost would be nothing less than the blood of Jesus himself. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And this is what Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God, had come to do. You see, there's always been a church. It just didn't have anyone but Jesus in it. He needed to die so that we could be the church. Look how Peter responds. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Now, let's pause here. You can relate to Peter, can't you? I know I can. I mean, he's his good mate, the guy he's given up everything to follow, the guy he's learning from, his teacher, the guy that he's just realized is truly who he says he is. And Peter is now getting pumped for the church plant. Jesus was building a church and it was going to be big. And the church was going to have Jesus as its leader. And the kingdom of heaven would be on earth. Awesome. Now, this leader is saying that he must suffer much pain, be tortured and killed. And that that would happen real soon. No wonder Peter thought, no way, I don't want that to happen. The response from Jesus was brutal. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is why I think this rebuke from Jesus hits us hard as a church. Because we totally understand Peter's concerns. For us, in almost every circumstance, we would say Peter's is the loving response. To not want to see any harm come to another person, let alone our Lord himself, how easy it is to make decisions and to act driven by a desire to preserve and protect our human concerns and interests. 
But Peter's eyes were on the wrong thing, and ours often are too. He couldn't see that the church he was promised would come at a great cost. And perhaps the lesson that we need here is that there is only one Messiah, one rescuer. And it's not Peter. And it isn't any of us either. You see, Peter thought he could rescue Jesus. And this is how our human concerns work. We put ourselves in God's position. And by doing so, we're robbing him of his glory. You see, God's concerns are that Christ alone be lifted up in glory and that the name of Jesus would be the only name under heaven by which anyone may be saved. You see, the cross means everything. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So we see that the church that confesses Christ is crucified with Christ. And not having that confession has serious consequences. So you remember at the beginning, we had this question laid out before us. Who do you say Jesus is? And what we have just read and heard is saying that who you say Jesus is doesn't actually change who he is. He is Lord and Saviour. He is the only means of salvation. He is the one who will return with glory, with angels, and he will return to bring to account all the deeds of men. That's scary. What's more scary is how easily we are willing to forfeit our own salvation in order to grab hold of things of the world, whether it's wealth, whether it's careers, whether it's any form of achievement, whether it's family. This happens even in the church. How easily we take on human concerns and not realize that we're missing Don't let that be you. To miss Jesus 
is to miss life. And even if you seemingly gain the world, you can't keep it. To be crucified with Christ is to die to this form of worldly wisdom, to die to our own desires and ambitions, to die to our own thoughts that we can rescue either ourselves or another person. You see, we need to know we're the ones that need rescuing. Like we discovered last week, we need a new heart. Because our hearts are full of human wisdom and human concerns. In the death of Christ, we find life. You can find life. And in the Messiah, the son of the living God, we die with him and therefore we live with him and his life is our life. And that's the message that we carry in a broken world. I carry this as a broken man. Jesus has given me life and now my message is Christ and him crucified. And this is what the church is called to. The Christ-centered church is the church that confesses Christ and is crucified with him. So can you say that you have been crucified with Christ and that it's no longer you that lives? but Christ in you. The life that we now live as the church in the body, the physical bodies that we have, the bodies I can't see now, we live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if this can be your confession, then the outcome will be seen in your life and in the life of the church. As we read in Colossians, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I'd encourage each of you, if you have time, whether it's today, whether it's in the week ahead. Have a good look at that passage in Colossians and just keep reading. And you'll find a real challenge 
in putting into practice what it means to die to ourselves and to live in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for sustaining me through preaching your word now. I thank you for your word. I thank you even more so for Jesus. I thank you that in him we have such a sure hope. We have life. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to greater understand what it means to have our life hidden in him. To be able to say that we died the death we deserve in Christ. That he is the one who has bought us. And that in him we live. Lord, I pray that the life of Christ will shine through everyone here at EPC. I pray that your glory will be seen in your church. And Lord, I pray that where there is human concerns and human wisdom driving ourselves or driving decisions, I pray that you will draw that out and crucify that too. And I pray, Lord, that you will have your way in me, in the church, and in your world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.